Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Allied Properties Rates third quarter 2021 earnings conference call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Mr. Michael Emery, President and Chief Executive Officer. Sir, please go ahead. Thank you so much. Uh, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our conference call. Tom, Cecilia, and Hugh are here with me to discuss Allied's results for the third quarter ended September 30, 2021. We may, in the course of this conference call, make forward-looking statements about future events or future performance. These statements, by their nature, are subject to risks and uncertainties that may cause actual events or results to differ materially, including those risks described under the heading risks and uncertainties in our most recently filed AIF and in our most recent quarterly report. Material assumptions that underpin any forward-looking statements we make include those assumptions described under forward-looking disclaimer in our most recent quarterly report. Our positive momentum continued in the third quarter. FFO per unit rose to a record level of 62.4 cents. AFFO per unit came in at 51.9 cents. Leasing activity exceeded our expectations. And we made significant and measurable progress with our ESG program. Average in-place net rent per occupied square foot rose again in the third quarter coming in at $24.62 compared to $24.30 in the second quarter and $23.61 in the comparable quarter last year. Our urban workspace and UDC space has become more productive over the past seven quarters and demand for this space has continued to accelerate since the third quarter of last year. Cecilia will summarize our financial results and speak about the ongoing augmentation of our financial and ESG reporting. Tom will follow with an overview of leasing and operations. Hugh will provide a development update, and I'll finish with our current thinking on the future. So now, over to Cecilia. Good morning. I'll touch on our balance sheet Acquisitions, new disclosure, and ESG progress. Our balance sheet. With the prepayment of $486 million in mortgages in the third quarter, 94% of our investment properties are now unencumbered. The prepayment was made possible by the issuance of our second green bond in August, which also pushed the weighted average term to maturity of our debt from 5.9 to 7.3 years, pushed the weighted average cost of our debt from 3.3% to 2.9% and got us closer to our target of four times interest coverage. 
Acquisition. We've continued to act in the favorable acquisition environment, although we don't expect to see additional opportunities over the remainder of the year. Our approach to acquisitions didn't change during the pandemic, with our first question continuing to be whether an opportunity makes us a better provider of distinctive urban workspace to knowledge-based organizations. The Dominion Building is a great example. Its location, physical attributes, and operating history over several decades will allow us to accommodate smaller users who have more flexible workspace needs. This will help us as we reconfigure our other buildings in the area to accommodate the range of both small to large users. Our leasing disclosure continues to evolve. Given the scale of our rental portfolio, upgrade activity is taking place regularly in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. The purpose of the upgrade activity is to better serve our users and in turn augment net rent per occupied square foot. As such, we included the lease area of our rental portfolio split between our stabilized and what we refer to as the transitional rental portfolio. The transitional portfolio represents properties where we are intentionally keeping occupants low to facilitate longer-term upgrade activities. This quarter, it consisted of six properties representing approximately 773,000 square feet of GLA. The stabilized portfolio has regular turnover vacancy that's an ongoing part of our business, but we're not suppressing occupancy. The transitional portfolio will vary depending on when the suppression of occupancy ends. We also added information on the net effective rents achieved on the leasing activity in the period. This adds another level of transparency that we hope you find informative. On to ESG. On October 15th of this year, we issued our second annual environmental, social, and governance report. We made significant progress on our reporting and disclosure by aligning to the Global Reporting Initiative, or GRI, and the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, or SASB Real Estate Standard. Next year's ESG report will also outline our progress in adopting the 11 recommendations put forward by the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD. The TCFD recommendations cover four categories, governance, strategy, risk management, and metrics and targets. We'll be disclosing the board's oversight of climate-related risks and opportunities as well as how we identify short, medium, and long-term climate risk for the organization. Ultimately, this means augmenting disclosure that matters to our employees, users, investors, and communities. We welcome feedback as to how we can improve our disclosure on an ongoing basis. I'll now pass it to Tom for a discussion of our operating and leasing results. Thank you, Celia. We are continuing our proactive approach to leasing by staying in constant touch with active commercial brokers in each of our markets. Results have been positive. Our leasing teams have had hundreds of meetings with, brokerage, with the brokerage community over the quarter and tour volumes have increased. We completed exactly 100 transactions in Q3, totaling 621,000 square feet of space. 
when comparing average rents on maturing leases to average rents negotiated, we achieved a 20% increase in rents on space renewed or replaced in the portfolio. In general, rents are increasing, and while a few tenants have elected to lease less space, most are maintaining the status quo and many are choosing to lease more space to better accommodate employees. It's worth mentioning the amount of space available for sublease in our portfolio declined considerably over the quarter. We expect this trend will continue as companies realize they need their offices. I will now provide an update on leasing activity in Montreal, Toronto, Calgary and Vancouver and conclude with an update on our urban data center portfolio. In Montreal, our leasing team was especially busy, completing almost half of all the transactions in the portfolio during the quarter. There were many small deals with new companies at our RCA and LPRO buildings in St. Henry. This is an encouraging sign for the future as we will be well positioned to handle expansion as many of these small companies will inevitably grow. The most notable transaction in the quarter was a new lease with Molson Coors for 30,000 square feet at 111 Robert Barassa. There are two other transactions of 50,000 and 30,000 square feet currently in pro progress in the same building. Enercon renewed for 22,000 square feet at 1,001 Robert Barassa, and we are now negotiating a 50,000 square foot renewal with an existing tenant in that same building. We were delighted last quarter to announce the acquisition of Place Garviget. This project in Old Montreal is perfectly positioned to benefit from significant neighborhood evolution, supported by a mega hospital and many residential projects nearby. We are now finalizing a deal with the Madison Group for an event venue, an upscale food market, and a wine club totaling about 25,000 square feet. The event venue space and food market will open in summer of 2022 and the wine concept in Q4 2022. Moving to Toronto, we completed a lease with a major U.S. academic institution for 93,000 square feet at QRC West Phase 2. We leased 27,000 square feet to Nick Sportswear at 179 John and completed a 32,000 square foot deal with Fair Wholesale at 420 Wellington. We are in the very final stages of negotiation for an extension and expansion with an existing tenant at 111 Queen East, who is committing to an additional 52,000 square feet, bringing their space to 120,000 square feet. We are in, the conditional, in a conditional period with one tenant and final negotiations with five more to effectively complete the lease-up of the office component at the well. Four out of six of these tenants are U.S.-based and our household names. Moving to Calgary, in the context of the overall market, we are doing well at 85.5% leased. Tour activity is good, mostly for small size users, which we can easily accommodate as many of our buildings have small floor plates. We completed 14 transactions in the quarter. In Vancouver, leased area is holding at 92%. We recently announced the acquisition of the Dominion Building, which is a great addition to our ecosystem in this city. The Dominion Building has approximately 140 small tenants, and we look upon this building as an incubator of small new businesses who can be accommodated elsewhere in our Vancouver portfolio as they grow. 
As for our urban data centers, we are 94% leased. We are in the process of completing two small transactions at 250 Front, which when completed, will bring our leased area to 87% in that building. The level of activity, particularly in Montreal and Toronto, has been very encouraging, and we expect momentum will continue. Many US-based organizations have, had been delaying decisions about expanding into Canada because it had, it had been impossible to cross the border and physically see the real estate. Border restrictions were lifted in early August, and immediately there was, there was a spike in tour activity from US-based companies. We expect more activity in the coming months as people are now comfortable to travel. I will now turn the call over to Hugh. Thanks, Tom. This has been a solid quarter for Allied in terms of our development activity. I will begin by giving an overview of our major projects, and then we'll follow that with an update on our planning activity for our development pipeline. Construction activity. Beginning in Montreal, work on the three main redevelopment projects, 400 Atlantic, 1001 Robert Bourassa, and RCA are all progressing well. The leasing team is actively marketing the improved spaces with interest being expressed for all three properties. We should be able to complete the majority of the base building work at 400 Atlantic by the end of the year. In central Canada, we have been able to hit a major milestone at the well. On September 1st, the first tenants took possession of their spaces to start their fit-out work. The team has continued to make progress on the other floors in anticipation of the remaining turnover dates. The retail tenants should start to take possession of their spaces in the beginning of 2022. Cure West Phase 2 and King Toronto continue to progress according to our schedule and remain on target for tenants to begin fixturing in Q2 and Q4 2023 respectively. While we had anticipated achieving occupancy at our JV project with Rio Canon College in Q3, this has been delayed until Q4 of this year. At 19 Duncan, we anticipate handing over the first floors to Thomson Reuters near the end of the current quarter. Occupancy for the office component of that project is scheduled for the end of Q2 2022 and the residential to follow in 2023. In Kitchener, our JV with Perimeter remains on track for completing the base building work by the end of Q1 2022. In Western Canada, we continue to make progress on our Boardwalk Revlon building. West Bank is completing the remaining base building work at 400, Atlantic, or 400 West Georgia, pardon me, concurrently with the tenant fixturing. We anticipate that project being complete in Q2 2022. Planning activity. This quarter has seen progress made on all of our submissions for future intensification projects in Toronto. The team has turned their attention to advancing the design of the various projects to be able to address the comments of the municipal authorities. Due to the imminent municipal election in Montreal, we have revised our anticipated completion of the approval of the expansion of Lindner Lec until Q1 2022. This quarter has seen progress made across the board of our development activity. The team has been buoyed by the milestone achieved at the well and is focused on keeping up the momentum. I will now turn the call back to Michael. Thank you, Hugh. Uh, near universal consensus on vaccine mandates and passports, 
bolstered the success of Canada's vaccination program in the third quarter and beyond. This is restoring the confidence necessary for people to return safely to a vibrant form of urban life. Canadian business is beginning to play its crucial role in leading the return. We saw and felt the growing restoration of confidence in our business throughout the third quarter and into the fourth. As of last Friday, 81% of the users in our portfolio, occupying 73% of the total GLA in our portfolio, have reopened their workspace and are bringing employees back. We don't have information at the moment on the exact number of employees that these users have brought back to their workspace. But we now know for a fact that the reopening in our portfolio is well underway and widespread. Another important leading indicator is parking revenue. It was up $700,000 in the third quarter, reflecting clearly the return to a more normal form of urban life. As you may recall, I articulated a thesis in April about the impact of the pandemic on the future of the commercial real estate industry in Canada. I made it clear then, and I reiterate now, that I can't prove the thesis. Only human behavior over time will do that, or not. What I can say now, however, is that human behavior, as Allied has experienced it over the past seven months, is consistent with and supportive of the thesis. I find this encouraging, and I look forward to learning more as this continues to play out over the remainder of the year and into next. I hope this has been a useful and comprehensive update for you. We'd now be pleased to answer any questions you may have. Yes, sir. Yes. At this time, we will open the line for questions. You may signal for questions by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure that your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, that is star 1 to ask a question. And our first question comes from Caitlin Burroughs with Goldman Sachs. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, thanks for the detail on the stabilized versus transitional rental portfolio occupancy. I guess given that this is new disclosure, we don't know what the trend has been. So as of September 30th, it looks like the stabilized rental portfolio was 92% leased. Wondering if you can give us a sense for the stabilized portfolio's occupancy level, how much it's down from 2019, um, and your outlook for that portion in particular from here. Caitlin, I'd have to do a bit of guesswork because I'm not aware of analysis in that regard, though I think we should do it and we will. Uh, but I would say during the pandemic, our stabilized portfolio is down about 100 basis points or so. Uh, most of it actually is not pandemic related in the sense that people have either contracted in the face of the pandemic or moved out completely in the face of the pandemic. Most of it is known non-renewals um, that we faced almost pre-pandemic and, and that actually actualized or materialized in the pandemic. And most of that would be at City Multimedia, um, which Tom refers to as 111 Robert Bourassa, which is the largest single phase of city multimedia where the bulk of the expiry has occurred in the third quarter and I think a bit more will occur in the fourth quarter. Um, so guesswork, probably educated guesswork would, would get us to about 100 basis points in the stabilized portfolio and the vast bulk of the decline in the pandemic certainly is in the transformational or transitional uh, portfolio. But we will we will follow up on that in the next quarter and, and do a more precise calculation. Um, okay, uh, great. And then maybe just thinking about um, all of the developments that you guys have going on. Um, I know you talked about it last quarter that they would contribute about $80 million to EBITDA. Uh, looks like that's still the expectation, which is good. Um, I guess with the well being the most significant piece of that and it getting transferred to the rental portfolio in one queue, um, can you give any further details on how you expect EBITDA in 2022 to be impacted um, by development? I think the most useful estimate I can provide is that we will begin to see the impact on our statement in 2022, but the really significant and material impact will be felt more in 2023. Got it. And will that... Um pace mostly just be impacted by the timing of projects being completed or the timing of companies moving in or what's driving that um, timing piece of it? Again, because what we see is just that like the well in particular is transferred in one queue. Yeah, it, you know, when occupancy commences, we can begin in most instances to recognize straight line rent. Uh, but the actual rent, uh, if you will, the cash rent, uh, won't commence until the tenant has actually occupied and is using the space. And that's going to occur over the course of 2022. By 2023, uh, I don't think all of the space will be rent producing, but a significant amount of it will be from Jan 1, 2023 onward. Uh, so it really is the transitioning in of the actual users uh, at the well 
and the payment, the actual payment of rent commencing at the well over, uh, really over the course of 2022. And 2023 will be the first year where we, we have the bulk of it, uh, if you will, hitting our statement from Jan 1 onward. And, and that's when we anticipate the most significant upward movement in FFO per unit and AFFO per unit because we won't, we won't be pulling straight line rent out of FFO to get to AFFO by that point. It will all be, or primarily be, uh, AFFO as well as FFO per unit. Caitlin, you might find it helpful if you look at page 61 in the MDNA, it shows the rent commencement timing by quarter and the corresponding square feet. So I think that'll give you a bit of a sense in terms of the contribution. And that page 61, that's the on the FFO basis or AFFO? It just gives the rent commencement by user and the amount of square footage. So you can use an average NOI per square foot from what's on page 60, and you would back into something that's pretty reasonable. Um, sorry for all the follow-ups here, but that would be an FFO basis or AFFO? Those date times there and page 60. It's actually it's cash it's rent. NOI. Right? It's cash rent. So cash, okay. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot. No problem. All right. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jonathan Kelcher with TD Securities. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Morning. Uh, um, you guys um, have some assets for sale, which is uh, not something that's historically been the norm for you. Can you give us a little bit of color on, on what type of assets, what markets? Yes, the, the only assets we have for sale are the ones that we've designated, I believe, for accounting purposes as held for sale. Uh, they are three in number. One is eight Plastic Commerce in Montreal. It was acquired probably six years ago as part of a four-property portfolio. It was the one property in the portfolio that we didn't particularly want or have much interest in. Um, but we very much wanted the other three, and in order to make that transaction easy and efficient, we acquired the fourth. Um, it is on Nuns Island, um, and uh, it has benefited from a municipally-led change to the zoning, uh, with the result it's become much more valuable today uh, than it was when we acquired it. It remains non-core for us because the density is probably best uh, brought into existence in the form of residential space, and that's not something we have any interest in doing independently of a big mixed-use project like 19 Duncan or the well. Um, so we, uh, we have put it on the market through CBRE. Uh, the process is just about complete and uh, we will be going through the process of getting that uh, closed in the first half of 2022. The two assets in Toronto, again, are non-core. They're on the northeast corner of Bathurst and King. They're quite shallow, um, and uh, we are entering into 
a transaction with the province of Ontario uh, to have those become part of the Ontario line system. Uh, and we are getting credit for the residential density uh, on the site as well as um, the income producing potential that we have benefited from historically. Um, and again, the aggregate consideration for those three assets, they're three separate properties, although we think of the Toronto properties as one, um, will exceed the equity component of the first phase of Place Garvige, which is exactly what we set out to fund uh, by putting these non-core assets on the market or negotiating the sale of these non-core assets, uh, as the case may be. But we have no other properties on the market for sale. Okay. So uh, do you have other properties that you would, sort of your, your bottom tier of properties that you might consider non-core, or is this just sort of a one-off that kind of fit, fit, fit the bill to buy the Montreal asset? Yeah. I would characterize this more as a one-off, um, as, as an opportunity to provide the most efficient form of equity for an acquisition that we believed uh, was very strategic and indeed possibly even transformational for Allied. Um, We're fortunate not to have many non-core assets. And indeed, to elaborate on that a little bit, Jonathan, even though it wasn't exactly the question you asked, um, we have long suggested that we would sell the Boardwalk Revlon building in Edmonton. Um, simply because we didn't see the opportunity to grow there um, in a way that was meaningful in the context of our business. Now that Hugh and his team uh, are well underway, indeed, nearing completion for a, an exhaustive uh, redevelopment of that complex, um, we, we have reversed our decision, or I have reversed my uh, inclination to dispose of that property. It will be one of the best brick and beam buildings in the country um, and accordingly something that Allied should own and operate uh, going forward. So I really don't see uh, much opportunity to sell non-core assets in Allied's portfolio anywhere in the country today. Um, okay, thanks. That was helpful. I'll turn it back. Okay, thank you. Our next question will come from Scott Romson with CIBC. Hi, and good morning, folks. Just a uh, question on the um, large uh, amount of inventory coming on board in, uh, in Toronto over the next few years. How do you? What are your What are your current thoughts on how it's going to affect you, uh, particularly the, uh, the the backfill? Well. Uh, comment one, we're a big part of that inventory. Um, I think roughly 1.5 million of 8 million square feet. And obviously, in Toronto, we're, we're all but fully leased in relation to that office component. Um, so we don't see it having any impact on our development uh, portfolio. The backfill space... Um, has been fairly carefully quantified over the years, both pre, during, and, and uh, certainly post-pandemic. Um, 
it's known, it's well understood, it, it will be backfill space owned and operated by very strong, well-funded um, owner-operators, and that backfill space will be upgraded. Um, it will not be allowed to deteriorate. It will be upgraded. It will remain competitive. Um, and the best guess that we've seen, and again, this, this work was done pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and will certainly be updated on an ongoing basis by the advisory community. But the best information we've seen suggests that if the absorption, say this year and in the next three years, is half of the absorption in the prior four-year period, then we end up at around 9-10% uh, vacancy in the urban market. Um, so we don't see it having any material impact on our existing rental portfolio either. Um, people will not be running out of 500, 522 King West in order to go into Commerce Court um, to backfill whatever backfill vacancy might be there. It, it, it has never happened in any supply cycle and it won't happen now. Um, Tenants will move, there will be competition. I don't think there will be material downward pressure on rental rates, but there will certainly see a plateauing of the rent growth that we've been seeing quite significantly in 2018, 2019, and indeed even last year and this year. Uh, even at mid-teens, um, average rent growth over prior in place, that's not sustainable. Uh, in a in a market that's in equilibrium. It's that significant today because the demand continues to exceed the supply. By the time the supply is delivered in full, it will easily have caught up with the excess demand, and I would expect to see rental rates plateau at that point in time and rent growth revert. In the best case scenario is rent growth reverts to something more normalized, two, three percent um, over prior in place, rather than you know mid-teens or even even as high as 20 percent, which we have seen in the past. Um, so that's what I'm expecting uh, to flow from the completion of the supply underway. Um, no significant new projects have been initiated, nor do I expect there will be. Um, we're on the record pre-pandemic, and we stand by this wholeheartedly, of not being prepared to initiate a large-scale development until we get through this supply wave that we're in the midst of and, and a significant part of. So we don't see the backfill as a big risk to the market, uh, but it will certainly, it will certainly um, mitigate the, the rather unusual rent growth that we've seen in the last five years. Thank you, Michael. That's a very uh, comprehensive and useful answer. I'll turn it back over. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question will come from Ginny Mo with BMO Capital Market. Thanks, and good morning. Um, morning. Great to see some strong leasing activity, particularly at, uh, at the well and, and QRC West um, it looks like the expected yield has improved now that you've gotten some visibility on, uh, on the expected income. 
Can you talk to us about, you know, a, a bit of background about how that came to be and any commentary on what large block users uh, might be out there or if there's a lot of them looking for space? Well, there, there's a number of large block users looking for space in the current circumstances. In particular, or specifically with respect to how the deals came to be for us at QRC West Phase 2, um, we'd been working on the transaction that took place for the better part of a year. Um, we actually uh, came close to a few other transactions for the entire building as well. Um, the nature of the architecture and the position of the building is quite attractive. Um, you can comment on, on the actual returns that we're going to achieve there, but uh, they're quite good. We're very happy with the deal that was done. The academic institution that we refer to is also taking the ground floor of the building, and they'll be animating the ground floor, and we think adding a lot of life to Queen Street West when it needs it. So we're really happy about that transaction. As for the deals at the well, we have been working for five years continually uh, pushing this project and it's just a lot of years of hard work coming to fruition right now. The project is taking place, you can see it on the skyline, we're really delighted with how it looks and the marketplace is responding accordingly. I think the amenity package that we've got uh, at the well is very attractive. Uh, the views are outstanding and you know it's just something that the marketplace wants uh, and our leasing team aren't taking any chances they're in constant constant touch with every active commercial broker in Toronto so proofs in the pudding we'll, we'll see in the coming weeks or months that we can finalize these deals that are on the table now I think we can and we're going to enjoy uh, a fully leased office component uh, come the end of the year. And one of the things I'd add, which which you can quantify in general, Jenny, is that the net effect of rental rates at the well, as we've moved up the building, and remember that it was leased at the bottom first, uh, and we've moved progressively upward, the net effect of rental rates we've been able to attract have, have gone up very significantly. And most of the deals that Tom has described today are in the top third of the building, so the smallest floor plates. And when you can get a relatively small floor plate uh, in a very high caliber building that happens to be in the higher levels of the building, you will pay for it. And fortunately, the very significant users that Tom and the team have been dealing with are more than prepared to pay for it. And the net effect is, are actually higher than we anticipated. And that too is encouraging. So whatever change you've seen in our uh, forecasted unlevered yield for the well would, would be driven in part by those rents, and I'm sure if there has been a change at QRC West Phase 2, Hugh, it would be driven by the actual rent rather than the projected rent. That's right. That, that's great to hear. Um, that kind of leads into my next question. I see that the IFRS cap rate on the on the PUD portfolio went down quite a bit 
from 6 to 4.3. Is, is that largely being driven by the well? Yes, that would be driven by the well. And is the catalyst for that the, the visibility towards leasing or, or market indications? Is that what, what drives it? Correct. So as, as the leasing continues, as well as as the construction continues, and, and there's, I guess, less of a question mark around the, the cost to complete, then um, the cap rate comes down, essentially. Okay. And was that being driven by the office lease activity, or was there a component of retail in there as well? It would be both. Okay. It would be both. That that brings the risk of the overall project down. And and as you know, we have it appraised. We have our entire portfolio appraised every quarter by Cushman. So um, as the risk comes down, they now flipped it into a DCF from a from a cost of cost to complete basis. So it, it does bring down the risk and accordingly the cap rate. Okay, great. Um, and then my last question is with regards to GNA. It looks like it was it was fairly low this quarter, but it's kind of had a $1 million range on a quarterly basis. Can you give us any guidance on how to think about that uh, for the next year or two? Um, and if there's any inflation-related impacts to that as well. Yeah, so Q2 had a few, well, had 1.2 million of a one-time item that, that we mm -hmm. called out. And so I think if you use Q3 less that amount, so roughly 5 million a quarter, you know, very mm -hmm. rough, you'd be pretty close to what a, 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 a trend, a quarterly run rate would be. It's, it, there are some chunky items in there. But overall, if you use that for a year, you'll, you won't be far. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Our next question will come from Mario Sarek with Scotiabank. Hi, good morning. I just want to make sure you can hear me okay? Hear you loud and clear. Perfect. Okay, so I, I wanted to focus on occupancy a little bit uh, with respect to the questions. And I'd echo the appreciation for the new disclosure on the transitional portfolio. So my question kind of pertains to the expected pace of lease-up on those transitional six assets. Uh, how much more combined kind of capex is required to fully upgrade those six assets to where you envision it to be? Mario, probably the biggest of the six is the RCA building in Montreal. Uh, it is a spectacular complex in St. Henry. Um, it had an enormous number of small users in it when we bought it. Um, a number of those have moved either over to our LPRO building or elsewhere uh, to facilitate the build-out. There's a very significant build-out uh, that is nearing completion now, and there's also a very significant user uh, looking at that space. So to answer the question directly, where we can have the greatest impact on the transformative or transformational portion of the portfolio is at RCA, and the significant anchor leasing um, objective is, is not complete, but is very advanced toward completion, could be completed in the fourth quarter, although we, we can't be assured at this point in time that it will be. But we're basically at the point in most of the transitional or transformational buildings 
to actually begin the releasing process. Um, now, again, at RCA, for example, the releasing is going to be phased. We won't do, I, I forget the size, but it's about 250,000 feet or yeah. so. It, we're not going to release that all at once. There's no way. Um, but we probably will release it around 50,000 feet at a time. And uh, that, I think, is achievable. And, uh, and the preliminary response we've had to the modified space has been very encouraging. Any, any color, Tom, in that regard? You know what? We're, we're replacing the windows in that building, and it's changing the look of the building from the outside. But even more importantly, it's really enhancing the look of the building from the inside. I was actually in the building, in a tenant space, last week. And the changes that we're making are really going to make a huge difference. And there will always be a, a lot of small tenants in this building because of the configuration of the building. Um, it's a great location, and it's you know going to be leased up as soon as the. In fact, most of the building is covered with scaffolding today, and it's 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 holding us back a little bit, Mario, in terms of um, some leases. But when it's completed, and it'll be completed over the next few months, um, this building is going to really, really do great. The one block that Michael was referring to, that could accommodate a large user is a single building in the middle of the project with exposure to the highway. And we're negotiating with a tenant now for that space. Um, fingers crossed we can get that deal done. Perfect. I guess and the, the comment that most of it's uh, ready to begin releasing now would, would imply that most of the capital required for the initiative has already been deployed. Over the next few quarters, we'll be deploying the capital there. Uh, we we can we can do some of the work while the tenants start fixturing. Uh, so it's, some of it is consolidating space, relocating small smaller tenants to L Pro, for example, uh, to facilitate these larger blocks. You know, in terms of capex, we're probably spending a hundred bucks a square foot, but seeing six to seven dollars gain on net rent. So. You know, it really it makes sense to make this kind of investment. Perfect. Okay. More broadly speaking, on occupancy, economic occupancy fell 100 basis points to just north of 90% on the known. I'll use the word city multimedia uh, vacancy. But it looks like, based on your disclosure, you recovered the vast majority of that uh, post Q3. 90% near a historical trough in terms of occupancy. How should we think about the broader occupancy outlook for allied kind of through 2022 and and is 95% your traditional base case kind of occupancy level is that still achievable uh, in a post covid environment absolutely it is achievable uh, it is as achievable in a post covid environment as it was pre covid i don't expect to see any material improvement in occupancy over the remainder of 2021 um, but I do expect to see it begin to improve in 2022. I don't think we'll get back to 95% in 2022. I'd love to, but I think realistically um, that won't happen. Uh, but I would expect to get back to the 95% level in 2023. And as we do this, the one really encouraging thing for our business is 
our same asset NOI will get a tremendous twofold boost. It'll first of all get a boost simply by virtue of the increase in occupancy. And we love, in a way, being in this position because this is, this is a position where the gross is actually the net. So whatever we get in gross rent actually falls to the NOI line completely. But the second driver will come from the fact that it will propel our average in-place net rent per occupied square foot because we're going to be taking rents up from what would be better than industrial rent levels but would be quite modest levels of rent for good office space to levels of rent for good office space that will be quite high. So, so we'll see same asset NOI growth come out of the um, increase in occupancy over the course of the next, let's call it 18 to 24 months. But I, I don't think we can get back to 95% in 2022, but I do think we'll be back to 95% in 2023 unless we, unless we propel other large-scale upgrades, but I don't see any at the moment that we're going to be initiating. I, I, think, I think we've initiated most of the upgrades that we want to initiate, um, and the only exception to that might be the Dominion Building, which we're going to close um, in about two or three weeks. Uh, we, might, we might indeed depress the occupancy there um, temporarily, but we don't envisage going in there and blowing the existing tenant base out at all. In fact, we're going to work with the, the existing tenant base, but that could precipitate some early stage turnover. But other than that, I'm not aware, Tom, of any sort of large-scale upgrade that we're likely... Oh, okay, Hugh points out we, we, we may indeed um, do some work on 3575 Saint Laurent in Montreal. It's a great building that I think was the second building we acquired in the city, probably around 2006. It's really well located close to the university, um, but I think there is an opportunity there to, to depress the occupancy, boost, um, boost the NOI through upgrade over time. So, so that would be the one exception to what I said. Um, but as I say, most of it is really in the St. Henry node. It, it's RCA and LPRO, and then a bit in Vancouver. The landing, you know, we've suppressed the occupancy in the landing in order to rationalize the utilization, and we've been very successful there. As you know, we got Microsoft, I think, to extend on two floors for about 44,000 square feet, which, which is terrific. Um, but we do have more vacancy there than, than will be sustained uh, once we upgrade the building to the level that we, we think is appropriate for that building. Uh, but 3575 is, is a good use of capital uh, going forward. So I, I think that time frame is reasonable, Mario. I'd love to get back in 2022, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think we'll be back in 2023 to the sort of mid-90s level that we consider normalized or stabilized. Got it. And the... Uh 
the commentary in terms of no expected improvement in occupancy over the course of 21, presumably that's referring to the economic occupancy as opposed to the lease occupancy, um, which uh, again, given some of the leases that have been post Q3, uh, would be moving up. Is that a fair? Yeah, that, that's correct because there is still some non-renewal at 111 um, Robert Barassa that that actually occurs in the fourth quarter. So we'll offset some of that, but but I don't think we'll probably offset it, but we won't more than offset it. Got it. Okay. And then just like looking at the 22, are there any kind of known tenant vacancies uh, in excess of let's say 50,000 square feet uh, that you're aware of that may impact the fluidity of those occupancy gains over time? Um, there's a there's a lease in Kitchener um, that is expiring that we'll need to be paying attention to that is sizable. Uh, it's in spectacular space. Uh, I think we'll handle that pretty quickly. But that's the only one that comes to mind, uh, Mario. Perfect. Okay. And then just maybe on the uh, coming back to City Multimedia on the, uh, the market rents, can can you give us any sense of uh, the change in the market rent on a net effective basis uh, on the 80,000 square feet or so that has been done or is in close in negotiations relative to the expiring rent? Was there a material change? I'd say there's a modest increase in, in rents in the building with the new leases. Some of the leases came off some pretty high rents. Uh, they were induced heavily and we're achieving the same or better in most cases. Okay, perfect. And then just uh, lastly on liquidity, pool liquidity in the disclosures, I think that just shy of 300 million, uh, the 86 million of assets held for sale arguably offsets kind of the acquisition of the Dominion building in Vancouver and the remaining 50% interest in the Glenbow assembly in Calgary that you noted as a subsequent event. How do you feel about that $300 million of liquidity kind of going into 2022, and how would you rank the available options to bolster that liquidity as it stands today? We're very comfortable with our liquidity position, Mario. One of the things that um, we embarked on a few years ago once we received the Moody's credit rating was to start incrementalizing our way to our lar a larger line that was more appropriate for the size of our business. So every couple of years, we've been adding $100 million to our line. So we'll be expanding our line from $500 million to $600 million on Jan 1, 2022. So we're, we're very well covered for our commitments in 2022. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Howard Lang with Veritas Investment Research. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, morning. There was a some uh, pretty helpful uh, stat around the re users returning back. Um, like Michael, I think you mentioned 73% of GLA. Um, I know you mentioned that uh, as well. That uh, those workers, you're not sure how many are going back yet. But when you look at, uh, I guess, your category of uh, of users, you know, by by sector, business services, in, in tech, are there any categories in particular that are coming back or not coming back, um, any that you want to call out, and uh, anything you've heard so far from them about how many days 
uh, they're they're letting their users come back or their their employees come back? Yes. So we we would not have that information. We do have that information segmented, pardon me, by city, and we do have it segmented by, uh, if you will, uh, basic type. So, for example, UDC, they never left. <laughs> Period. Full right. stop. Uh, retail is well above ninety percent reopened, if you will. Um, office ranges from, I guess it would be, um, yeah, around 60% in Calgary to a high of 87% of total area in Vancouver. And that, that's not surprising at all. Toronto's about, uh, interestingly, about 77%, and Montreal's about 71%. Um, again, they're slower and have historically been slower than, than Vancouver. We, we just don't have the data, um, nor is it really possible for us to acquire the data in a short period of time um, as to how many people any given organization is bringing back at any given point in time. We can use our own um, our own experience as a little bit of a proxy. We've been running at about 50% repopulation for over a year now. Now again, we're in the somewhat unique position of being an essential service because of the physical nature of the work we execute. Um, and we're now trying to understand what the requirements are with respect to office space in Toronto and in Ontario because um, we, we were probably accommodating anywhere from 80 to 95% of our employees today, but they're cycling in and out uh, in a way that keeps the number at any one point in time at 50%. So that's our experience. We're probably more advanced than most of our tenants, although some of our tenants are like us, essential services, and, and they've never really um, they've never really shut down in the way some organizations have. Um, but we don't have that data. Um, it's hard to assemble, and frankly, it's very clear that almost every tenant is in a transitional phase now. Um, but what we, what we do know um, is, is that the doors are open, the offices are uh, working, and people are coming in and out of them on a continuous basis. But I, I wish I could glean repopulation numbers from that, but but we can't. And and indeed gathering that, I don't know that I don't know how cooperative tenants would be in providing that information, uh, number one and number two, it would be a massive data gathering um, exercise. So so we put these numbers forward as indicative, uh, but they're up big time over the past uh, eight weeks, that's for sure. Um, so people clearly are returning, um, and, um, and that return is accelerating. And if we look at the retail users, especially in the King Spadina area and the St. Lawrence Market area, they are fully back, and they are doing all the business that they can do. Um, 
there's still some difficulty getting workers, which is why not everybody is open for lunch yet, but the demand is there. Uh, they simply um, aren't at a point where they can serve the demand, and the margin for dinner is, is much, much higher. And it's, it's getting as frenetic in those urban neighborhoods as it was pre-pandemic. But I unfortunately don't have any supplemental information. I, I know that you know, roughly 73% of our space is reopened and populated, but I don't know how the population compares to pre-pandemic levels. That, that's, still, uh, that's still helpful and, and good color. Um, a, question, a question about leasing. Uh, the, um, in, in that leasing spread chart in the MDNA, just notice that the, the starting base rent for the renewal and replacements uh, is pretty similar to the average base rent on the, on the renewal and replaced leases. Uh, does that mean that, uh, I guess, for those leases signed uh, in Q3, that there, there's no step up um, in, within the, uh, the term of the lease? Hi, Howard. It's Cecilia. The average to average is includes the any fixturing period, so it would be over a, a, a longer period of time than the obviously the ending to starting. So it does get a little bit distorted because of that. But there absolutely are step ups in the leases on renewals and replacements. Oh right, right, because because the fixturing period, right? That, that yeah, exactly. Sense. Okay, okay, uh, and then maybe just one more for you, Cecilia, on the um, transitional space disclosure. That's pretty helpful that you're starting to call that out. Does that uh, does that transitional versus stabilized? Would that affect any calculation in the same asset NOI, or is it not? Are those not related? No, we included everything as part of the rental portfolio, including the transitional properties, so it would be part of the 6.3% increase that we had in the quarter. Thanks Thanks so much for the color. I'll uh, turn it back. All right, thank you. Our next question will come from Matt Kornack with National Bank Financial. Hi guys, uh, I'll try to keep it quick. Um, on the well, and, and this maybe is more of a comment than a question, but uh, would it be uh, possible to get, but maybe with Q4, kind of a sense as to how the FFO, AFFO, and capitalized interest would trend uh, as that comes online? I know I think Shopify enters fixturing or is in fixturing now, so presumably they'd be in FFO in Q4, but uh, any sense on that? And maybe the the retail versus office split on NOI, I don't know if you can make a comment on that now. Well, I can certainly speak to the first part of your question, Matt. I think that could be something that we provide as part of our uh, outlook for 2022 on our February call. Okay, so in terms of guidance uh, for ranges yeah. of FFO, FFO, et cetera. Okay, no, that, that makes sense. Um, and then on TTA Multimedia, is the Molson space, is that the top floor that was leased to, to SAP? And then I guess if there is new space that's coming off uh, post-quarter, are you in discussion on that? I mean, you, you've noted the 50,000 square feet that uh, you're in discussions, but, but where else are you in terms of... Uh, potential leasing at that building. So yes, Molson's will be taking the top floor of the building, uh, right on the money. Um, and the 50,000 square foot and the 30,000 square foot tenants, the 50,000 square footer is an existing tenant looking for expansion. 
uh, and we're getting very close to that. The 30,000 square footer um, is a brand new tenant to the marketplace and we're getting close to that one. And there's probably three or four others that we're in conversation with. Okay, perfect. So that's, that sounds good. Um, uh, I'm blanking here. Sorry. Uh, just uh, I'm looking forward to see what you guys have proposed for 3575 Bay, and it's over 11, so I'll, I'll leave it there. Okay. 3575 Saint Laurent. 3575 Saint Laurent. No problem. I went to McGill. I own a property not far from it. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I thought we I thought we had a property I didn't know about. I'm based. No, 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 sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Our next question will come from Pammy Burr with RBC Capital Markets. Thanks. I will uh, try to keep this quick, uh, just given the time. But just, uh, and I do apologize if this was answered earlier, but um, in, in terms of the additional leasing at the well, relative to the update that was provided a couple weeks ago, uh, just on some of the new leasing, I guess it's roughly 300 basis points. Can you talk about maybe just the types of tenants on those new leases? And um, are those tenants relocating to the well, or is that incremental new space for them? It's a mix. Um, there's a media tenant, there's one, two uh, tech tenants, there's a pharmaceutical tenant, uh, and a financial tenant. Um, and most of them are relocations to the well. I'd say four out of the six are relocations and two are new to the market. Thanks very much. I'll turn it back. All right. Thank you. And we do have one more questioner in the queue, Mario Sarek from Scotia Bank. Sorry, just uh, one more on my end, and it pertains to the well as well, given how important it is um, going forward. The the development yield was left at five one to five nine in terms of the range um, this quarter versus last quarter. Uh, you know, as the you know as the leasing risk or the visibility improves. Uh, what, what is what is your confidence level like in terms of like the lower end of that range or potentially hitting the higher end of that range? Uh, so uh, our confidence levels uh, to be in the middle of that range, you know, it, I think there's still a little bit of uh, visibility on the retail rents that we need to achieve. Um, the office is we've basically got um, two thirds of the the NOI of the property figured out. Uh, so it's really in that uh, the last retail deals that we're we're working on now with RealCan. And then, like you've done a, a fantastic job of leasing up the office space, and there's various reasons for that. Uh, how would you characterize the importance of the retail vision at the property to essentially getting to 100% occupancy on the office side? Like, where does it rank in terms of importance? I think the retail vision is critical to both the actual lease up and then the ultimate success of the complex as a whole and the retail component as well. I think RioCan and Allied have together uh, done a very good job of developing the right vision for the retail component and executing the right kind of leasing to get the outcome we need. Um, it has meant 
that the retail leasing has to follow the office leasing, um, um, primarily because we'll get the best results when we can show the physical environment, or at least the, the general outline or parameters of the physical environment to prospective users. And we're at that point now. Um, so I believe the vision for the retail component of the well is critical to the completion of the mixed-use project um, in a way that we'll see it complement the King and Spadina neighborhood uh, and actually meaningfully integrate with the King and Spadina neighborhood and become an extension of it. Um, and I, I think we have the right vision. Uh, the market is the core to that vision. That was an idea Tom had many years ago. Um, it's an excellent idea. It's very hard to execute. It's easy to say. It's very hard to do. Um, I know RioCan has talked to something like 400 local food and food service um, interests in the city uh, in an effort to populate or curate the market uh, in the right way. It would be very easy to let someone else do that, um, but we wouldn't get the quality of outcome that we want. And so Allied and RioCan are adamant um, that this will be curated by the owners and we will not surrender control uh, to any one would-be operator of the market or the food complex uh, within, uh, within the well. And I am very confident in the outcome. Um, I've always expected it would occur uh, much closer to completion than the office leasing. Our experience in the inner city has always been the office leasing can get done way ahead of construction completion. Retail leasing just doesn't happen that way in the inner city. Um, so there's nothing untoward or discouraging about the fact that the retail leasing is following the office leasing. In fact, that's exactly what we expected. And we're very happy to be at a point in time where we can now show to retail users the incredible environments we're creating there. And we can also tell them that the office component is approaching 99.5% lease up and that the residential components are sold out if they're condominium uh, and under, are under very, very good stewardship uh, if they're rental stewardship, which will be partially uh, represented by RioCan itself. In a way, I kind of regret that we didn't participate in the residential component, but not really, uh, because it's not an essential part of what we do, whereas I believe it is becoming an essential part of what RioCan is, um, and, and I think it made a great deal of sense for RioCan to be part of that component of the well going forward. Um, it isn't as crucial or central to Allied's core mission, but I do believe it's central to RioCan's core mission. So we love the retail. We know it's going to complement our enormous amount of retail on King Street. It's not going to 
diminish it, it's going to complement it. And uh, that's good for everybody. So that's kind of that's kind of my perspective, Mario. I don't know if that was your question exactly, if but I, if I could add one thing, sure, Mario. Um, every single office tenant asks about the retail. Everyone, and everyone were really comfortable and impressed by the vision. Uh, so it was a very important element of our uh, leasing success. Um, I'd like to say it was entirely because of the leasing team uh, working hard. That's only part of it. But the vision was a huge part of our success, the retail vision. Perfect. Okay. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thank you. And speakers, at this time, we have no further questions in the queue. Okay. Well, thank you all. I hope this has been a useful and comprehensive update for you. Um, we'll certainly keep you apprised of our progress uh, going forward. Thanks again and have a great day. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's teleconference and you may now disconnect. Please enjoy the rest of your day. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.